It says, write the revelation down and make it plain on the tablet so the herald will, may run with it. For the revelation awaits appointed time. It speaks of an end and it will not prove false. false excuse me. <clears throat> Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. <clears throat> so here's the thing. The word revelation can be equated to the word vision. And the thing about vision is it can be all up in your head and can take you all kinds of places. But vision needs to be written down. If you study anything about vision and about plans and business plans and things of that nature, if you don't write it down, it never stays in your mind. It never has clarity. So the word says to write the revelation down or write the vision down. So if God has given you a vision of something for your family, for business, for a ministry, whatever it is, the first thing you need to do is write it down. Okay? The second thing you need to understand is the vision takes sacrifice. I want you to hear that again. Vision takes sacrifice. A lot, a lot of times we as Christians, we sit back and think, you know, hallelujah, praise the Lord. He's going to bring this uh, to pass. And we sit back in our little easy chairs with our feet up and eat our potato chips and wait for God to do whatever God's going to do. It doesn't work that way. When God brings, gives you vision, He's going to give you a plan that you write down and understand you are going to have to do something that you haven't done before. You may have to go back to school. You may have to spend, get up, get up earlier in the morning and spend more time with God. Whatever it is, you have to do something in order to move that vision into reality. God is providential and God will do what He will do but he takes into account our will, our purposes, and the things that we are going to do. And God's providence and our will, what we are willing to do, that is what uh, brings vision to reality. So I'm not sure who that's for. I'm going to leave that with you. We're going to go into our time of intercessory prayer right now. Dr. Scott, if you get ready. Let's just bring up the atmosphere. Let's go into our heavenly language. Father, we thank you that once again we could come and gather in this house to praise you, to worship you corporately. We thank you for the freedom of this country that allows us to gather at any time in any place. And Father, we ask you today to meet us in a mighty and a special way. I ask the Holy Spirit to walk through this place and touch lives. Even now, Father, as we praise you, as we worship you. The song we just sang two moments ago said, you're alive. You're alive. Many are going to set two graves today and celebrating and looking at markers and looking at, at the ground over the water is buried. But you conquered hell. You conquered hell. And you conquered the grave. And you're alive and you're well today. And we praise you. We thank you for it. And because of it, we give you our families. And we give you our friends. And we give you those co-workers. And we thank you for their salvations that we have not yet seen. But the price has already been paid for them. And we glorify you today. And we praise you today. And we thank you today. Well, you're alive! 
catch that breath to go forth and to share. Oh, we thank you. We thank you that you never leave us. You never forsake us. You're there with us. Oh, Father, today we lift our leaders of this house. We lift Bishop and Dr. Show before you. We thank you for their vision that they've written down. We thank you for the vision of this house. We ask you to continue to guide us in that vision and all the ministries of this house. And Father, as we go out and about and what we're doing, we ask you to guide our steps to those who need you. Father, we can share you, that we can plant that seed once again for you. Yes, we thank you again for Dr. Garner and Apostle Sister C, for the many, many years they've given forth. God, in their latter years, we ask you to strengthen their bodies, strengthen their minds, strengthen their spirit as they go forth, doing what you call them to do. And this day we praise you, and we glorify you, and we worship you as the King of kings, as the Lord of lords, as the risen Savior who's alive and well in Jesus' name. Turn to two or three people and say, God is alive and he lives in you. given the passing of, of Pete. Thanks, Steph. Much appreciated. Morning, everyone. Say fact. Fact. I mean, no, facts don't change. Right? Facts are facts. So I'm going to tell you a fact. I know for a fact that there are at least two people in this congregation who have been waiting anxiously.
for Dr. Trisha and myself to get back in the pulpit so I can tell you a joke. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the other one's back there. <laughs> so here we go. A four-year-old boy runs up to his dad with a big smile. Dad, he says, I'm going to get married. The dad bends down to his son and looks him in the eye, and he says, well, that's wonderful. Do you have a girl in mind? The son smiles even bigger. Yes, Grandma. She loves me, and I love her too. She's the best cook in the world and the best storyteller as well. Wow, says the dad. That's great. But we have a small problem here. The boy crosses his little arms and says defiantly, What's the problem? Well, says the dad, she happens to be my mother. How can you marry my mother? The little boy puts his hands on his hips and says, I don't see why not. After all, you married mine. in keeping with Tiffany's song and the passing of Pete, you know, death is just such a paradox when you think about it. You know, there used to be a song, all of us want to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die, amen? And isn't, isn't that just the truth? You know, with the uh, passing of Trisha's dad just recently and, and Pete, it just I know, it's just, it's just a tough thing to see people that you love and you care about and you know that they're, they're going on, but you, you just you can't see past, past the immediate. And, and it brings us into our message this morning, which I really think is timely when I look at everything that's, that's been going on. And, and the title of our message this morning is The Providence of God. Say The Providence of God. The Providence of God. So we want to look at the way the providence of God works in these next few minutes as it's seen through the book of Ruth. <clears throat> when we say providence, what we mean is a coming together of God's sovereignty, his goodness, his all-encompassing knowledge of man and mankind, the world that we live in, and how everything conforms to his perfect will. Say his perfect will. His perfect will. We know that God is supreme. We know that God is all-powerful. Yet, providence tells us that God is very personal. And that he accomplishes his plans, he accomplishes his will, based on the fact that he knows what we will choose. Do you ever really think about that? That God knows your life from beginning to end. He knows every choice you're going to make. And he conforms everything according to his will in order to bring his providential will about. And catch this, people, it includes every mistake that we will ever make. Okay, sometimes we think, you know, we make this mistake, we make that mistake, and God doesn't care, or, you know, we're out of God's will. Everything conforms to the providence of God. Amen? Amen. So God's providence 
is a mystery to us, but the fact is we can fully rely on his love, his care, his concern for us. And we're going to see this in the book of Ruth. The book is only four short chapters. I'm sure you know that all of you have read it at some point. <clears throat> Most of the time when people teach from the book of Ruth, it is from Ruth's perspectives and the things that you learn from Ruth. But we're going to look at it at a different uh, viewpoint today. Okay, so according to the Talmud, which is the Jewish tradition, the Jewish writings, it was the prophet Samuel who wrote the book of Ruth, and he did so some t somewhere between 1160 and 1100 B.C. And the, the key to this is it was during the period of the judges. And the, the period of the judges was a dark time for Israel. God has been bringing uh, judgment according to his providence against them because of their apostasy, because of their wandering away from him. And so you've got this, this dark foreboding cloud over the, the entire country. But right in the middle is this book of Ruth. And it shows just how much, even in the darkest times, God is intimately involved in our lives. So the book of Ruth opens with the severe report of a famine which drove Naomi's, Naomi's family out of Bethlehem and into the neighboring uh, town, cities, uh, territory of Moab. Naomi eventually returns with Ruth because she heard in Ruth 1.6 it says that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. So she comes back to her town uh, that she had left, and we're going to delve into her story. So why is it so important? Why is this book so important? Because it is written from Naomi's viewpoint. And that's, when you go back and read these four chapters, look at the book through Naomi's eyes, and you'll see that every event relates back to her. You know, you look at Ruth and you think she's the hero but the storyline is all about Naomi. Naomi has been compared to a, a female Job, right? She loses her home. She loses her husband, her son. She loses her livelihood. And she joins the ranks of Israel's lowest members of society, the poor and the widowed. So the book reveals the extent of God's providence in her life so that we can parallel it back to our lives Think about this. He takes Ruth, her daughter-in-law, who is a Moabite, and he brings her into the line of lineages of what will be King David at some point, and later on, uh, our Savior, according to Matthew 1.1, 1, 1, Jesus Christ. So let's take a quick look at Naomi's life and see how we can identify with her. Amen. So we know that they came from the city of Bethlehem, right? And that Bethlehem's meaning is actually the village of bread. And when God planted his people in Bethlehem, he told them to stay there. Interesting village of bread. How many of you know that that was spiritual bread and natural bread? but both of which are provision that we need, amen? So God said, here's where the provision exists, my hand's upon you, stay here. Don't go to any of the neighboring cities and towns, don't intermarry with them, they all serve foreign gods. Stay in Bethlehem, the village of bread, and I'll provide for you there, amen? Yeah. In particular, the city of Moab was neighboring. And Moab was a pagan nation, uh, they offered human sacrifices mm -hmm. to the god Kamash. 
And these were people whose kings regularly led assaults against Israel. So they were the enemy, amen? But there was an incredibly serious famine throughout the land of Israel and in Bethlehem. And the people were starving and the people were dying. And so many of them began to migrate to some of these neighboring foreign lands just for survival, amen? And so we know that Elimelech and Naomi and their two sons, Kilian and Malan, left the promised land to go to Moab for food. Now, even though they left for practical reasons, it's true that they were in rebellion to God's command not to leave the land that he would provide. Amen? Mm -hmm. So sometimes we know that things look like God's direction on the outside, but they wind up not being God's direction and often it takes us down a path that God hasn't planned for us mm -hmm. and we get into trouble, amen? How many of you had that happen? Yep. It's like, boy, did that look like God and smell like God and it was not. Mm -hmm. And now I got a mess and I really need God to get me out of here, amen? So Naomi packed up her family, moved from Judah to Moab, took her sons, and her sons, while they settled there, married local women, local mm -hmm. Moabite women. Tragically, Naomi lost her husband and then shortly after lost both of her sons. Mm -hmm. So as the economy began to stabilize, there was provision available again back in Israel and, and in Bethlehem. Naomi said, you know, I have nothing. I'm broken, I'm empty. I barely have a reason to live now that I've lost my entire family. And even though I have these two precious daughter-in-laws that I love, that are good to me, that are committed to me, I'm going to cut them loose to go back to their mothers and their family, and I'm just going to head home. And we know the story that Ruth said, I ain't leaving. Mm -hmm. I am committed to you. I love you. She said, I've lost my husband. I'm grieving as well, but I'm going to stick with you. And if that means adopting a new God, this God of Israel, that's okay with me. And so she traveled with her, amen, all the way back to Judah. So while they're in Judah, God does some really amazing things that we need to take note of. He has this incredible plan where he prompts one of the landowners named Boaz to generously allow those seeking to glean access to leftover crops all this favor. Now, Boaz doesn't know anything. He's just a landowner. He's a farmer. He has many people that work for him, and it's harvest time. He's just doing what he does. But his character was such that he definitely leaned on the generous side. He took care of people. So many of us know the concept of gleaning. We know we have beautiful ministries called gleaners, amen? And it was simply when a farmer very generously cut the corners of his cropland when he harvested so that those that were poor and without and the widows could come in and take that harvest on the square corners of the field because he felt he could get plenty if he just did a circle instead. Also, as the harvesters would work through the field, which were primarily women, they would invariably drop some of the wheat, some of the corn, and his order was don't pick it up, just leave it there. And that way people can come behind you that are desperate for food and I can be generous to them. So he had a great heart, right? God then led Naomi to his property. She didn't know who Boaz was. She just wound up gleaning in his fields. What's remarkable about this plan is that Boaz also happened to be a relative of Naomi's, something that Ruth also had no idea about. Mm -hmm. And so Boaz was a relative to Melon, which was Ruth's husband that had passed, and so he qualified as a kinsman redeemer. Amen? Mm -hmm. 
So we see that even in the midst of Ruth and Naomi's awful affliction, God had a plan to take care of them. And again, think about what Dr. Simon said. These were decisions made by these individuals. Some were outside of God's will for them. Some appeared to be rebellion and blatant disobedience as the intermarrying, moving to a foreign nation that served pagan gods. But God provided the entire time amidst those decisions. Amen? And so it just happened that Ruth wound up gleaning in Boaz's fields. It just happened that Boaz took note of her amongst all the other poor and widows who were gleaning. He just happened to say to his workers one day, who's that one? And they said, oh, she's new. She's the Moabite. She's been gleaning all day and all night, and she has not taken a break. She just goes and goes and goes, and she's here taking care of her mother-in-law. And he said, wow, that's impressive. So he fed her. He gave her something to drink. He told her, I want you to intentionally walk right behind my harvesters. I've instructed them to leave extra for you. When you're thirsty, I want you to go drink from our well and let me know if you need anything. That was pretty incredible and pretty unheard of. Amen? It just so happened that Boaz happened to be a relative, and it just so happened that he could be a kinsman redeemer. Now, what's that word again? A kinsman redeemer, most of us know that custom in the culture, was simply that if a man died, his brother or next nearest relative was actually encouraged to marry the widowed wife so that she'd be taken care of and so that the family name wouldn't end with him, but the lineage would continue. So it was a very honorable thing to do. They were not obligated to. Boaz was not obligated to, but they were offered, and if they had any honor, they would usually do it. Amen? And so we can see that even with the choices the individuals made, that God is fully aware of what his purpose and plan is, and he's going to accomplish his purpose regardless of the decisions we make. I don't know about you, that encourages me and gets me excited because it means if I miss it, if I think I hear from God, if I don't, if something looks to be one way to me and I walk through the door and I shouldn't have, God is still going to have his way, he's still going to use me, and he's still going to provide for me. Amen? Amen. Amen. Say providence. Providence. Say God's providence. God's providence. Reigns in my life. Reigns in my life. So we see that the book of Ruth is, uh, you know, it's a story of setbacks, uh, negative things that happened. And even though Ruth sticks with Naomi, chapter one ends with Naomi's bitter complaint. She says, I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. The Lord Almighty dealt with me very, or excuse me, the Lord Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Now, how many of you can identify with that state statement? How many of you can look at your life or periods of your life, or maybe you're there right now, and, and you look at your life and you think, man, what is going on? Where is God in this picture? You know, and, and you pray and, and it just seems like your, your prayers bounce off the ceiling and nothing's going through. And, you know, we get to feel like Naomi does. Amen? And, and sadness comes in and we look at the circumstances of our lives and we conclude God doesn't care. So we get discouraged, we get despondent, we get de- depressed. And some of us get bitter. Hebrews 12, 15 comes into reality at that point. It says, see that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root 
grows up to cause trouble and defile many. You know, when we get to the place where bitterness sets into our life, it spreads into our relationship. It can destroy marriages. It can send you to jail. Mm -hmm. And for sure, it will alienate you from God, right? You know, the conclusion is, ah, there's no God. He doesn't care about me anyway. What's the use in serving him? I'm just going to go do my own thing. Amen? In chapter 2, we see that Naomi is filled with new hope. So she has gone away full, come back empty, and now she is filled with hope again. That's a lesson to all of us, that God's providence overrides all, that he sees, he knows, he understands, and that he is working everything for our good, according to his plans and purposes. Amen? So the new hope is that, as uh, Dr. Trish has said, Boaz comes on the scene, and she's, he's a possible husband for Ruth, but he doesn't do anything, right? He doesn't make a move. So in chapter 3, Naomi and Ruth, <laughs> I always think that they're scheming together, you know, <laughs> and, and, and they set her up. They, they're going to make a really risky move. And so Ruth goes to Boaz at night on the threshing floor, and, he's, and she says to him, I want you to spread your wing over me as my husband. So now she's approaching him. In that culture, that's unheard of. In that culture, she is taking on herself the role that, that God is supposed to have, that he is the one who is supposed to um, bring her kinsman's redeemer to her. It's not her role as a woman to step out. Nevertheless, she steps out. So some people can look and say, well, there she goes again. She's stepping out of God's will. Is she? Or once again, does God's providence show that he's already factored in what she's going to do in order to bring about his will? Amen? So this roadblock appears that another man, according to the Hebrew custom, comes and uh, as Dr. Trisha has said, that possibly Ruth can go to uh, another man. But Boaz, being the honorable man, he doesn't move. He doesn't move because he wants to let everything be lawful and obedient. And once again, you can see God's providence. We, providence, we do this and this, but God's laws over here saying, ah, 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 let's bring you back over here. Let's do the, th the right thing. Let's do the, the right thing according to my will and according to my word, right? So in verse 4, or chapter 4, excuse me, verses 30, or 13 to 21, it says, so Boaz took Ruth, excuse me, Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went to her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to who? To Naomi. They don't say this to Ruth. They say it to Naomi. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a next of kin. And may his name be renowned in all Israel. Whose name is he talking about? The child's name. The child's name. <clears throat> he shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of, of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has borne him. Then who? Not Ruth, but Naomi takes the child and lays him on, his, on her bosom, and she becomes his nurse. And the woman of the neighborhood gave him the name, saying, A son has been born to, again, not Ruth, Naomi, 
And they named him Obed, the father of Jesse, the father of David. And the name Obed means one who serves and one who worships. That is so awesome. So why is the focus on Naomi? We can see through the lives of Ruth and Boaz that God is big with mercy and big with blessings in their lives, right? Mm -hmm. And remember, Ruth had been barren for 10 years, but now she and Boaz are part of Jesus' lineage. Mm -hmm. But the focus in verses 14 through 17 isn't on Ruth and Boaz and this awesome happening of them being part of the lineage. It's on Naomi and her new grandchild. So why is that? Naomi's name at the beginning of the book was Mrs. Hard Times and Mrs. Bad Luck, right? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how we're introduced to her in scripture. Because at that point of the book, no matter what life looked like, God's providence would bring about good for her. And this is why we can confidently claim Romans 8:28 that we know that in all things, say all things. All things. Say God works. God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Say in all things, all things, God works. God works. No matter what I do, no matter what I do, God works. God works. No matter what I think, no matter what I think, God works. God works. If I'm Mr. and Mrs. Hard Times, if I'm Mr. and Mrs. Hard Times, God works. God works. Amen. Amen. So the book of Ruth starts with Naomi's loss and it ends with her gain. It starts with the death of three people, but it ends with life. It starts with Ruth being barren, and it ends with a brand new baby. And so the scripture that Dr. Simon read said, And the woman of the neighborhood gave the child a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. Not to Ruth, but to Naomi. And the reason was to show that it wasn't true. To show that it wasn't true. That what Naomi had said in chapter 1, mm -hmm. that God had brought her back empty from Moab, wasn't true. So we see the focus is on Naomi. We see a bunch of circumstances take place. We see this beautiful love story that glorifies God, kind of take precedence in the book of Ruth. And then we go back to Naomi to show that what she said isn't true, mm -hmm. that God actually had his hand on her, was providing, and was a big old part of the story and all the decisions and mistakes that were made, right? And I think if we could just learn to wait and to trust God, all of our complaints against God would prove to be untrue, mm -hmm. amen? That we'd see his providence at work. How many times have you looked back on your life and think, I should have been dead more than once? Mm. I should have been in jail more than once. Mm. I should have been divorced more than once. Mm. I should have been fired more than once. Mm. And you see that even in the mess, amen, God's providence was there. He'll always have his way, amen? Mm -hmm. If we can just line up our decisions with his word, it will make life a lot easier on us and a lot easier for him, amen? Mm -hmm. I think we wear God out sometimes. So Ruth was written to help us see the markers of grace, right, in our lives, to help us trust that grace so that even during times of intense darkness, when we can't see the road, let alone signs on the road trying to tell us which way to go, that we can remind ourselves that God's the one who takes every single setback and makes it a stepping stone in the direction that he wants us to go, right? Mm -hmm. So in all the bitterness, God is the one who's mapping out his will, regardless of the decisions we make, and he's mapping out our good. 
you know, we have to make choices that line up with God's eternal values. Every decision we make should be submitted to the Holy Spirit. Is this the right thing to do, God? Is this where you want me? Is there self involved here? Do I have an agenda? What's my motive? God, I need every decision I make to submit to your eternal values. Because the significance of our life extends way beyond our lifetime here on this earth, right? And the rewards will always outweigh any sacrifice that we have to make. We just have to choose faith. Amen. Amen. Say, I choose faith. Choose faith. I choose faith. I choose faith. Amen. Amen. So we're going to look at, uh, again, the word providence in a bigger picture and look at some of the things that happened to Naomi because of God's providence. And again, God's providence sees all and understands all. So first thing is we see that Naomi's entire life seems to cave in while she's where in Moab. How many of you have been, you've left the church or you've walked away from your faith or, or you've done something and, and you've gone in your own Moab? Now, don't put your hand up, but you've gone <laughs> out into your own Moab somewhere, right? And you've pouted or you've gotten bitter or whatever. What happens in this Moab is that God gives Naomi Ruth. You want to think about that. He gives her Ruth in her Moab. And in 116, it says, uh, excuse me, we learn of Ruth's commitment to Naomi because of God. She says to Naomi, she says, your God shall be my God. Now, you want to think about this, okay? God won Ruth's allegiance in Moab. How many of you have, you can put your hand up for this one, okay? How many of you have friends or family and they're out in the world? They're out in Moab, right? Mm -hmm. And we we pray for them diligently. We intercede, you know, weekly here. You intercede on on a daily basis and you think they're out in Moab. Guess what? God is out in Moab. He's out in the world. And he's doing things to win their allegiance. So God wins Ruth's allegiance. He doesn't demand it. He doesn't command it. He woos her. He woos her into this place. And in 2 2 verse 12, we read that Ruth comes to Judah with Naomi. And it's there she begins to take refuge under God's wing. Right? She begins to see God's providence a work in her own life. And isn't that, how many of you can say, you know, you've, you've seen friends and family in the world and then they've come in, into the kingdom and they see God at work, right? They see God at work in their own lives. <clears throat> so it's because of God that Ruth left her home and followed Naomi to serve Naomi. And all along God's providence is turning Naomi's setbacks, her bitterness, into a place of hope and joy. Even though... She has no idea that this is the way her life is going to turn out. Next, we can look at um, the preservation of Boaz. So Naomi give, once again, Naomi gives us the impression in, in chapter 1 that there is no hope for Ruth that she could ever marry and raise up children again, right? <clears throat> but God, say but God, but God, is already preserving this wealthy and godly man, Boaz, to do exactly that. 
And in chapter 2, verse 20, Naomi finally recognizes that the quote-unquote accidental meeting of Ruth and Boaz was the kindness of God who has not forsaken the living or the dead. She's finally seeing the providence of God in her life. She's finally looking back and saying, man, I did this and this and this and this happened and this happened. But God, but God, how many of you have been there? How many of you have been down that road and you can look, you look at your immediate circumstance and say, man, I see God at work. So she sees this providence of God in in her, her life. And the message to you and I is that for every loss we endure, God is already plant, plotting, excuse me, our gain. Amen. Remember that, people. <clears throat> Next, we see the opening of Ruth's womb. <clears throat> uh, this is where, obviously, God gives Ruth a child, and the neighborhood women say, a son has been born to Naomi. I always find that really curious. You, you want to think about that. They give her, and why? What is God saying here? He's saying, look, it doesn't matter what you've gone through. I can bring things about. I can bring blessing about. I can bring purpose for your life. Because up until then, up until this grandchild was born, Naomi had no purpose. <clears throat> so you and I, we, we, <clears throat> we, look at, um, we look at Boaz coming into Ruth's life. And the scripture is very clear. It says, the Lord gave her conception. Okay? So for you and I, what that's saying is when God brings his providence to bear on our lives, there's a birthing realm that's going to happen. So remember when I talked in the, in the beginning and I talked about vision? Vision at some time has to have birth. But how many know especially you women, us guys don't know. But to birth a child takes a whole lot of pain. Amen? But the blessing that comes out makes you forget all the pain. So when God brings conception to you and I, when he takes us through all the pain, and then conception comes, whatever conception looks like, whatever birth looks like, whatever vision looks like to you, when it becomes in reality, we forget all the pain that we went through. Amen? Amen. Let's look at the glorious work of God in, in the history of the book of Ruth. teaches us that God's purpose for the lives of his people is to connect us with something greater than ourselves. You know, we are so self-focused. Right? Mm -hmm. But God's providence sees everything. He's dovetailing everything together. <clears throat> he wants us to know that when we follow him, our lives will mean more than what we think that they do. And when we do things in obedience, no matter how small, in God's world, it's significant. It's part of a cosmic uh, mosaic that God is putting together to display the greatness of his power and his wisdom to the world and to the principalities and to the uh, powers uh, that are in heavenly realms according to Ephesians 3 and 10. Amen?
Amen. So let's look at a few uncommon lessons from the book of Ruth. So these would be great points to jot down. So the first is God's sovereign rule, or let's say it this way. God's, God rules sovereignly. So say that with me. God, God rules, rules sovereignly. sovereignly. So God reigns in all the affairs of men. Amen? Sometimes we don't think so. We feel like the enemy's reigning, or we feel like self is reigning, right? And all kinds of things go wrong. But God truly does reign in all the affairs of men. He rules the nations, according to Daniel 2, and he rules families, right? And his providence extends from the White House and U.S. Congress all the way down into your kitchen. Amen? Amen. The really big stuff and the really minute stuff. God is still in control and sovereign. Daniel 4, 34 through 35 says, His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, What are you doing? God says, I know what I'm doing, and I'm in control of all of it, right? That makes me feel safe, amen? It says he gives rain, and he takes rain away. He gives life, and he takes life away. In him we live, and we move, and we have our being, right? Nothing from a paperclip to Mount Rushmore, okay, is really understood except in relation to God. I don't know how people think they can get their minds around any type of scientific or mathematical concept outside of God and his providence Mm -hmm. because none of it makes sense unless you keep it connected to God and in relation with him, amen? That's when we really understand it. He's all-encompassing, he's all-pervading, and that is our reality. So when we talk about the providence of God, we're not talking about providing and provision and money and health and all these things, all those that go with it, right? But we're talking about this overarching purpose mm-hmm. of God being accomplished simply because it's his will and what he wants to do. It's much bigger than that. Amen? So God rules sovereignly. Number two, God's mysterious providence. What does a word mysterious mean? It means uncomprehensible. How many of you know something mysterious? Just don't quite understand it. Can't quite put it together. And sometimes God's providence is mysterious to us because we can't quite fathom it. Sometimes it's just too big for our little brains. Amen? Maybe God did deal bitterly with Naomi, at least in the short run, and I'm sure it could only feel like bitterness to her, Mm -hmm. right? Some people say it was because of the sin of going to Moab, of allowing the sons to marry, you know, uh, those that worship pagan gods. Maybe so, but not necessarily, because look at Psalm 34, 19. It says, many are the afflictions of the Righteous. righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Many are the afflictions and messes and catastrophes and bad decisions and poor behavior and sinful lives of the righteous. righteous. But that's okay, because God delivers them out of them all. Mm -hmm. So neither the Old Testament nor the New Testament promises us as believers that we get to escape all the junk, right? But suppose Naomi's calamity was because of her disobedience. Well, that makes the story doubling encouraging, Mm -hmm. doesn't it? Because it shows that God's willing and able to turn all his judgment into joy anyway, Mm -hmm. even when we go against his will, right? 
It says that he's already taken into account all that we're going to do, all the wrong decisions we're going to make as he directs our lives. So if Ruth was brought into the family because of sin, then it's doubly astonishing that God blessed her the way that he did and that she became the grandmother of Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. right? Of David. So don't ever think that the sin of your past means that there's no hope for your future. Okay? Amen? Good. So just say the sin of my past. The sin of my past. The mistakes I've made in my past. The mistakes I've made in my past. My past reputation. My past reputation. Does not mean. Does not mean. That I don't have a hopeful future. That I don't have a hopeful future. Say it don't matter. It doesn't matter. Because of God's providence. Because of God's providence. Good. Amen. Amen. So number three, we're going to look at God's good purposes. <clears throat> Who would have imagined in the worst period of Israel's history through this period of judges, God would providentially move in the tragedies of a single family? You want to think about that. Of the millions of people who ruled in Israel, God chose to focus down on this family Put the book of Ruth in our Bible to give us a future and a hope. Amen? <clears throat> he was working to fill Naomi and Ruth, Boaz, their friends, with a great joy. And remind yourself, people, if you are going through any time, now or in the future, and it looks hopeless, then learn from Naomi that God is at work right now. Say right now. Right now. God is at work right now to give you a future and a hope. And he's calling each one of us to trust him. That in the dark clouds of our lives, that his mercy will break out in blessing. And here's the key, at some point. And why do I say that? Because Galatians 6, 9 reminds us that, let us what? Not grow weary in well-doing, right? For what? In the proper time, you might as well say in God's providence, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. That we will reap a harvest if we do not faint. Okay. Number four, freedom. Say freedom. Freedom. <clears throat> Finally, if you really learn to trust God's providential, divine plans and purposes for your life, and trust that no matter what happens, good, bad, or indifferent, his mercy will pervade in your life. It will bring you freedom. Because you're not tied to the circumstance and situation. You're not looking ahead, but you're looking up. And no matter what happens ahead of you, you know that the one you're looking to will bring what? Everything about according to his plans and purposes. And somehow, somehow, he will work it for your good. Paul says in Romans 15, 4, he says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Say this with me. Amen. I have hope. I have hope. I have hope. I have hope because of what I learn because of what in I the scriptures. In scripture. Paul says in uh, chapter 15 verse 13 he says may the God of hope mm -hmm. fill you with all joy and peace as you what as you trust him mm -hmm. 
so that they may overflow again with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're not saying that, you know, when you get down, you're, you're, you know, you're going to snap your fingers and jump up. Hear that verse there. It says, by the power of the Holy Spirit. When you're going through it, you have to rest in him. You have to trust him. You have to look at his character and what you know to be true about him. That's what brings us the joy. That's what brings us the hope. And this is what we mean by God's providence, that he is the master weaver. And he's taking all the threads of our lives, which often look like just a tangled mess to us. And he is putting something together that is beautiful for his glory. Sometimes we ask, you know, what's God's will for my life? And we worry about our future. We worry about our next steps. We worry about our finances. We worry about our work. We worry, 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 right? But providence teaches us to trust. Providence teaches us to say, I know what's in front of me, but God has a bigger picture. Amen? So we wrap this up with some personal applications. Number one, when life brings devastation and it's not easy to hope and it's hard to have faith, but it's during that time that God says, trust me, and he says, call upon your faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 reminds us that what? Familiar verse, say it with me. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And we can look at the book of Ruth, and we can see that's to be true. And even when we can't see beyond our pain, we know that our story is not over. Mm -hmm. Amen. Number two is no matter what's in your past, or no matter what you've come out of, you still have a purpose. You still have a purpose. Your past is not your final destination when you choose faith. You may not have confidence. You may not trust yourself, and you could be wavering, but God's promises don't waver, and they never lack confidence. You know, as my father uh, turned 92, uh, he would often say to me, Honey, why doesn't God take me? I have nothing to offer. And I said, Because, Dad. You have a purpose. Mm -hmm. You still have a purpose. Mm -hmm. At 90, at 91, at 92, Dad, God still has a purpose for you. Mm -hmm. He's still using you. He's not done yet. You've got a purpose and a reason for getting up every morning and enjoying those that you talk to in your day-to-day life. There's still a purpose, amen? Regardless of the situation, who you are, what you used to be, you still have a purpose. God, what's my purpose? You know, it was a sacrifice for Ruth to refuse to go back to her land. There was a big sacrifice Mm. to change gods back then. Gods ruled over entire countries and nations. And she said, I'll switch the one that I've been submitted to. It was very selfless and an incredible example of God's love for her to align herself and commit to Naomi. Amen? So God calls us to sacrifice, and he calls us to commitment during the tough times, even when we don't know the outcome. See, that's our trust in him. Mm -hmm. God, I don't know what's going to happen, right? Think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Either God's going to deliver us, but if he doesn't, I still praise his name. He's still my God. So God, I don't know what's going to happen, but yet will I trust him. Mm -hmm. Yet will I trust you. I will always trust you. I don't need to know the outcome, God. I just need to know that I have you in my life. 
so I can sacrifice and keep my commitments when I'm going through the most miserable of times because I trust you. Say, God, I trust you. God, I trust you. Say that a hundred times a day. You know, point number four is that Naomi was very open with Ruth about the joy, the fear, the pain, the anguish that all came along with her faith in God, wasn't she? She just told her, God's not being fair. I am destitute. Look at me. I've lost everything. I'm just bitter about it. I'm so angry and frustrated and don't know what I've done to cause God to be so angry. She admitted that she felt like God was dealing with her way too harsh for her to handle. But it was in that sharing and that intimacy that the deep bond was formed between her and Ruth. Amen. Mm. And so uh, Ruth comes to accept God because of the honesty. God calls us to be open and transparent and real with people because that's how we draw them, amen? That's ministry. That's our testimony. That's what brings our friends and our family and our co-workers to come to know Jesus Christ is when we're honest. You know, I had to learn on my secular job that I did not have to be a perfect Christian, that every time I got angry or dropped the ball or made a poor decision, I did not blow my witness mm -hmm. because it was about how how I managed it, mm -hmm. how I handled it, how I rebounded from insults or criticism yep. that was the witness, that I never stopped going to church and loving God and serving him and having a great attitude and being positive and praying for people, no matter what was going on, in the middle of panic attacks and not being able to breathe and multiple sinus surgeries and inflammatory disease and all this insanity, right? Financial difficulties, relationship difficulties, still showed up for work on time every time, still gave it 110% still praised God, still gave him all the glory. That's what the co-workers notice, amen? So it is good to be transparent. It's good to let people see what you're walking through and how you continue to trust him, amen? Amen. Number five, Dr. Tom, if you want to come up. <clears throat> Throughout the Bible, we see a particular Hebrew word used, and that's goel, G-O-E-L, okay? And the word means redeemer. One who buys back. In the book of Job, Job re, re, excuse me, declares that I know that my what? My Redeemer lives. lives. Do you know your Redeemer lives? Yes. Amen. <clears throat> Boaz was what? A kinsman Redeemer. <clears throat> when Jesus Christ came to this earth, he was a kinsman Redeemer. Mm -hmm. In Hebrews 2.11, it says that he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Now, I want you to really think about this. If Jesus is our Redeemer, right? He bought us with what? His own precious blood. Never forget that God is never ashamed of you. Yes. Amen. You go through your hard times. Mm -hmm. You fight with him. You argue with him. Whatever you're going through, mm -hmm. he's never ashamed of you. He's never ashamed to call you brethren. Amen? Number six, regarding Ruth, we see that she went above and beyond. She honored and respected her mother-in-law, and in doing so, she became known as a virtuous woman. She worked hard to provide food for herself and for her mother-in-law, and in everything she did, she showed character. And in, in doing so, she was honored by the village, and she's honored by God. Amen. And like Ruth, we need to be people of character. Yeah. In the hard times, in the good times, in the mundane times, when we're just doing life, mm -hmm. character matters most. Amen. Okay, say with me. 
The best is yet to come. 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 Because God's providence rules and reigns in my life. Because God's providence rules and reigns in my life. This is the unshakable truth. This is the unshakable truth to believers in Christ. To believers in Christ. So you who are young out there and you've got lots of life to live and to us who are a little bit older and, you know, maybe on the looking, well, <laughs> and see that peak out there. <laughs> God says the best is yet to come. Amen. Amen. You know, maybe somebody here has heard that type of a message for the first time. Maybe you've never heard of God's goodness and mercy towards you. Or, or maybe you have been one who has wandered out in your own Moab. And, and you've come back and you're sitting and you're thinking, I want God to turn things around in my life. <clears throat> Let's just repeat this. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes, repeat this with me. Father in heaven... Father in heaven, I want to trust you. I want to trust you. And in doing so, and in doing so, my first step, my first step is to trust your son. Is to trust your son. Jesus, Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you died for my sins. That you died for my sins. That you came to give me eternal life. That you came to give me eternal life. And I accept your finished work. And I accept your finished work. On my behalf. On my behalf. I thank you from this day forward. I thank you from this day forward. I am part of your family. I am part of your family. And you will never be ashamed of me. And you will never be ashamed of In me. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. If you've said that for your first time, please come and see us. Or if you've, as I said, been wandering around in Moab, please come and see us before you leave. Everybody stand. We're going to have our, our time of confession.